to uh, Genesis chapter 17. And for uh, those that might be listening on internet or you that are maybe first time visiting, my name is Gene Humphrey. I was pastor here for uh, too long to remember, <laughs> 39 years, and uh, no, 29 years and uh, associate pastor now for the remainder of that. Pastor Dimlo is taking a break, uh, and he'll be back towards the end of the month. Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Genesis 17, 1. I want to talk to you about obtaining a new start with a new name. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I'll make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but they shall call, but, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I'll make thee exceeding fruitful, and I'll make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I'll establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I'll give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I'll be their God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the moment. We're thankful that you still desire to work in the hearts of men. And it'd be our prayer today that you would do exactly that. May we not leave here the same way in which we came. And Lord, may we leave better than when we came. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Thank you for the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so when we come to the 17th chapter of Genesis, we find ourselves in the life of Abraham and learning from him. We find here in this passage that his name is going to be changed from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, uh, the father of multitudes. When we read at the beginning, we see that he's 99 years old, and we might think, well, what good it would be to have a new beginning and a new name at 99, but of course, at this time, maybe possibly because of the effects of the flood, and, but lifespans were uh, greatly different. And in fact, he's going to live 76 more years, and his wife is going to die there in chapter 25. He's going to have a second wife and either, even more children. In life, there are times when we need a new start. Sometimes when businesses 
over the years have gained a bad reputation and someone buys them out, it's often very advantageous to give it a new name and make it clear that it's underneath new management. And sometimes it's important in our own lives to have a beginning again after we've been born again. And what a difference for me personally when at 13 years old I repented of my sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior and I, my name changed from Gene the sinner to Gene the saint. And 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, and all things are passed away, and all things have become new. And I experienced that for myself, personally. What a difference it made a number of years later, when I had gone off to secular college, away from my home church, running from the call of God upon my life, and living in the world, running from God. And he brought me to a place for a commitment and a brokenness where he changed my name basically from Gene of the waster of life to Gene of the abundant life. That's really what 1 John 1, 9 is about, isn't it? That, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a new start. It's a new beginning. It's a, it's a time to, to begin again. And basically that's the same thing that David wanted after he had committed that horrible sin with Bathsheba and had his, her husband killed. And in that great chapter of Psalms chapter 50, he cries out and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, and, and restore unto me the joy of my salvation, of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. And so there's times of new beginnings. And I want to speak to you on that case of a new start. There'll be times in your life, and maybe even today, that you need to quit just living in the molly grub and living in the muck and mire that's been created and to pull yourself up by the power of God and have a new start. I've noticed that over the years for some, you've gradually drifted and drifted and drifted. And if you're honest, you're really a long way from where you used to be and from where you need to be. And you need a new start. Maybe today you've been disappointed over the desires of your heart not having come about. And as a result, you've ceased to live by faith. You need a new start. Maybe there's unconfessed sin in your life. And you've lost the joy of fellowship with God. And you've almost come to the place where you consider that to be the normal Christian life. When it's not, you need a new start. Maybe what once started out as great hope and joy on the day that you were married has now turned into dust and ashes. You need a new start. And maybe you're here today and you're lost. You've never come to a place that you've hoarded your sins and seen your need of a savior you don't need a new start. You need a start. You need to be born again. 
And he that hath the Son hath life. And so I want us to kind of really get to setting here of what's going on in Genesis chapter 17. And way back in chapter 12 of Genesis, when Abraham was in the land of the Ur, the Chaldees, God comes to him and he tells him that he wants him to leave that land. And he tells him, I'm going to make thee a great nation and I'll bless them and make thy name great. And he goes on and says, in you and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed which was really speaking about that through Abraham in the physical side, that Jesus Christ is going to come through Abraham, and through Jesus Christ, every nation of the world can be blessed in having the opportunity to be born again. And so Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldees. He has this promise that God's going to bless the world through him, and he and Sarah go on with life without having children and he's wondering what is happening and he's questioning and when we come to chapter 3 God again on chapter 15 God again promises him saying that this servant of yours Eliezer who was born in your house and is stirred in your house he's not going to be the one who inherits you your property he's not going to be the one that's through through the which all the world will be blessed but there's going to come one through your loins you personally are going to be the one I'm going to give you a child and through that child all the nations of the world will be blessed and uh, he makes that very evident because you read that chapter 15 he's going to give it a covenant which means a, a contract or agreement in a very much greater way and the way that they made a covenant back in those days when two men were going to make a covenant when they sealed the covenant they would take animals and they would sacrifice animals. And if it was just doves, they would put one dove on one side and one on the other. If it was oxen or a lamb or a goat, they would cut the animal in two, put half on one side and half on the other. And then both of the parties of the covenant would walk through the animal pieces and it would be signifying, if I break my promise, if I break my covenant, I'm going to have to have my own life forfeited. Well, in this case, they'd split the animals up and God was ready to pass down through the covenant and make sure, that the, make sure the covenant's going to be ratified by this. But he caused a great sleep to come on Abraham and like a fiery furnace went through there and God, only God went through those animal sacrifices and God was saying this, that this promise that I'm giving to you, Abraham, does not depend anything upon you. It all depends on me, and I'm the only one that's going to pass through these sacrifices. And from 75 years old to 85 years old, 12 months out of the year, every year as the cycle of the woman comes, Sarah, are you pregnant today, Sarah? No, not today, Abraham. For 10 years. No baby. And so, Abraham says, uh, I think God needs some help here. And Sarah said, I think God needs some help. And so in chapter 16, Sarah says, why don't you take my handmaid Hagar 
and you go into her, and we'll have a child by Hagar, and he'll be the heir. And so they disobeyed God. He committed adultery. That's what he did. Whether his wife approved of it or not, he committed adultery. And Ishmael is born. He was born, chapter 16 and verse 16, and Abraham was four and six years old, 40, four score, 80, and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. 86, and then note verse 1 of chapter 17, and when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, 13 years, 13 years have passed between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. 99 years old, 24 years earlier, he had by faith left the Ur of the Chaldees in Haran and went to Canaan looking for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. He'd been promised an heir <coughs> that would bless the whole world. Ten years he and Sarah waits for a child. And he along with Sarah ceased to live by faith and he commits adultery and Hagar bears Ishmael. And problems begin to happen. Hagar looks at her mistress and say, hey, I got a baby, where's yours? And there's problems happening. But it's shocking to see here, from 86 to 99, 13 years, there's not a single word that we find recorded where God communicates with Abraham. 13 years have elapsed, and we can well suspect that these years were years of unhappiness, of unrest, 13 years without a word from God. The presence of Ishmael in the home created endless contempt and bitterness and envy and jealousy and weariness of spirit and rebellion. And 13 years were designed by God to give him some horse sense. In eastern Oregon where I grew up, there's a difference between common sense and horse sense. Horse sense is what's kicked into you. And common sense is just common sense. But God is going to take 13 years and he's going to kick some sense into Abraham. Maybe you need some horse sense today. Have you drifted? You need a new beginning today. He's reaping a life of isolation. He's reaping what has been sown. He's been placed on the sidelines where there's no vision or communication from God. The people perish, the Bible says. 
Perhaps there is someone here today who for 13 weeks or perhaps 13 months or maybe for 13 years, uh, the presence of God has not been felt in your life. Perhaps you've taken matters into your own hands as Abraham and you reap the consequences. Perhaps today you're in the need of a new beginning, a cleansing from all unrighteousness, a creation of a new spirit in your heart and restoration as David requested. Well, let's note how that happened. Because we find here that Abraham does receive a new start and a new name. And about a year later after this, he's going to receive a wonderful son named Isaac. Thirteen years and without a word from God. And what's the first thing that God says to him when after 13 years he speaks to him? This morning God may want to speak something to your heart. You know, you know, when you get serious with God, you know you're not where you need to be spiritually. What is God going to speak? Well, he spoke to Abraham these words. The very first words that God said to Abraham after 13 years was these. I am the almighty God. The revelation after 13 years is I am the almighty God. This is a new name, never yet seen in the Bible. The first time it's seen in the Hebrew is called El Shaddai, which essentially means that God, the God who is sufficient. It is when we lose our vision of God that we perish and and Proverbs tells us when there's no vision, the people perish. But this is not a vision of what we might do, but it's a vision and a real revelation in our mind and our heart and renewal of our understanding of who God is. Before we're saved, we need to have a vision of our sinfulness before God. We need to have an understanding and a vision. I'm not saying something that's weird, but an understanding of who God is and seeing him crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And understanding that, that our sins required the absolute sacrifice of Christ to be paid for, those things must come about. <clears throat> but in this case with Abraham, it's a case of a vision of the Almighty God that he needed, the God who is sufficient, that God comes to our hearts and he's saying, listen, I am the Almighty God. I am sufficient. For what you need. I can provide for you. Paul said not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. But our sufficiency is in Christ. And so we must not lose a vision of who God is. We make him so small sometimes. Who is El Shaddai? Who is that one if you're saved, who is your Savior? Listen, he's the one that merely spoke this world into existence. 
I am the Almighty God. He's the one who parted the Red Sea when the army of Egypt was behind the children of Israel. He's the one that brought down the walls of Jericho. He is not the God like that of Baal, who cannot hear, but he's the God of Elijah, who set down fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifices. He is not like the heathen gods who rule in anger, but he's a God of love who gave himself. He's the God who, early in my ministry, aided Plaque Road Baptist Church when the fire marshal wanted to close our doors. He's the God who placed our member of our church, Brother Noah George, on the continent of Asia and in the country of Lebanon and have sustained him and have blessed him and is building the foundation of a church in a country of Lebanon. He is a God who sustains. He is the almighty God. In chapter 18, when God is getting ready to finally give Isaac to Rebekah and uh, Isaac to, to uh, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah laughs and the question is put to her, is there anything too hard for God? Let me ask you this morning, of the events that are going on in your life and the things that you want to see accomplished, is there some place where you come to the understanding, whether it's stated physically or verbally, but is thinking of it and emotional in your, in your mind? Is there anything that God can't take care of in your life? Is there something that you've just given up on? Is there anything too hard for God? The first words that he says to Abraham after 13 years of silence is, I am the Almighty God. Now let's consider why he said that. It was a rebuke at first, I'm sure. I'm sure it was a rebuke. Abraham had listened to Sarah and not to God. Abraham had considered all the circumstances around him and how bad they were. He wasn't getting any younger. For 10 years, he had not conceived. And so he said, I gave him a tryout. I gave God a tryout. As we would try out a running back for a football team. I gave God a tryout, and it just didn't produce. And so I'm going to have to take this into my own hands. And God's coming to Abraham in chapter 17 and verse 1 and basically he's saying this. Abraham, who do you think I am? And who do you think God is? Who do you think I am? And God says, I am the almighty God. Which means I must trust him and he is sufficient. He shall also die. He is a sufficient one. I wonder what it might be in your life that you think God cannot deal with. Perhaps you do not think that he can provide for you financially if you honor him in the days of worship 
Perhaps you do not think that God can provide for you a husband or a wife or the contentment to stay single. Perhaps you do not think that God can save that lost husband or lost wife or that it's beyond hope to ever see your child turn around. Perhaps you've given up hope of ever getting out of the rut in which you find yourselves. Perhaps you've given up any change over the thing which keeps you awake at night. that terrorizes your soul, that leaves you on a day-by-day and week-by-week basis, depressed. Let me say to you, if you're saved here today, and if you're not, there is the rest understanding, but God is the Almighty God. And there's nothing too hard for Him. Abraham had been living for 13 years in rebellion and in reaping the consequences of his rebellion. And now God comes rebuking him and saying, Who do you think I am? I am the Almighty God. But secondly, I think not only are these words of rebuke, but I think they're a signifying of the sign of God's unfailing love. And though Abraham had sinned and was reaping, and though for 13 years God is silent, God had never forgotten him. I'm telling you, folks, sometimes you can get yourself in a place where you think God doesn't know and God doesn't care and that he's forgotten you. He's not forgotten. He knows exactly where you're at. And he knows how to get you out of the depths of your problems. His unfailing love. For 13 years, God's silent, but God comes hunting him down with a probing question. Who do you think I am? I'm the Almighty God. Wasn't it so in the Garden of Eden when God came in the evening after they'd sinned and made themselves aprons and, and hid themselves and God comes along saying, Where art thou, Adam? Where art thou? He comes seeking him. Was it not so when David received the audience of Nathan and Nathan tells him the little story about a guy taking another guy's little pet lamb and feeding it to the, the guest that he had. And, and Nathan stands as God's spokesman and says to David, David, you're the man. You've committed sin. You've committed sin with, adult, with Bathsheba and you've killed her husband. And uh, God, why did God do that? Because he's in the salvaging business. He's not forgotten where we're at. And it was so with Abraham. And count it a great privilege if you're a child of God that God comes along and he digs into the, your conscience. He stirs your heart. And he says, where art thou? What are you doing here? As he said to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? 
And he, <laughs> he sent the fire and he sent the windstorm and the rocks were rent and, and God was in still small voice. Perhaps today God's still small voice is prodding your innermost being. Don't sit there and deny it. Don't sit there and bull up. Don't sit there and say, I'm okay, I'm fine. I'm doing okay. I'll continue to live this life. Listen, God wants to give you a new start and a new name. May we take on the heart of Fanny Crosby, the blind lady who experienced in a service God passing through and people's hearts being touched and she wrote these words, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While in others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While in others thou art calling, do not pass me by. One of the greatest things that can happen to our lives when we're out of the will of God is for Jesus to come calling. And so the first step was, a vision of who God was. He's the almighty God. He can give a 99-year-old man a child. <laughs> He's the almighty God. If you're going to have a new start today, you must realize that the invitation that when God speaks to your heart, it's the almighty God. And he means business. Secondly, we find in this passage that a new beginning begins with falling on her face in verse 3. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, and if you read all this, the understanding I have is, is that throughout all of chapter 17, Abraham remains on his face. Now you must understand what point God has brought Abraham to. Abraham had not listened and embraced God's promises, but he's listened to Sarah. And actually, when it comes down to it, Sarah says, it wasn't my fault, Abraham, it was your fault, <laughs> because he listened to her. Abraham has ceased to walk by faith, and he's taken matters in his own hands, and now that God, who said he would give him a son and make him a great nation, appears to him and he says, I'm the almighty God. And Abraham's and Sarah's ability to bear children is dead. And Abraham has come to the end of himself. There's nothing that Abraham can do. And what a wonderful, helpless, hopeless state he finds himself in. How can I say a wonderful, helpless, hopeless state? How can it be wonderful? Because not until a man comes to the end of himself will God put forth his power. You're not going to get any credit for a miracle. Not till, God, not till a man comes to the end of himself will God put forth his power. 
Not until he's exhausted all of his resources and at his wit's end does God evidence his grace. Not until our own power is dead will God exhibit his power. When Moses and his children of Israel were fleeing Egypt and they came to a place where there were a mountain range on both sides, a great number of people, possibly over a million in the group, and they've come to the Red Sea and the, army, the mountains on both sides, the Red Sea in front and the armies of Egypt behind. And uh, Moses was at his wit's end. And he came to a helpless, wonderful position. Because now God is going to work. You see, if we're going to have a new start, you need to get out of the formula. You need to get out of the planning. You need to surrender to what God wants you to do. Listen, we can't, we can't have a new name and a new start still Mickey Mousing around with our plans. And they can't be half him and half ours. God honors surrender. And God honors obedience. In Psalms 107, when the souls fainted in verse 5, then God delivered them out of all their distresses. In verse 12, they fell down and there was none to help. And God saved them out of their distress. And when they were at their wit's end, God saved them. And he maketh the storm to calm and brought them to the desired end. I'm convinced that the Lord is wanting to give some of you a new name and a new beginning. And I'm praying that it brings you to a hopeless, helpless state. It's never going to end until you confess your pride. Until you pour yourself in your lost sinful condition, you'll never be saved. And people who are really, really, truly born again have come to a helpless, hopeless estate knowing if God does not save me, I'm going straight to hell. There's some of you that are saved and trying to find a purpose and meaning to life and people and places and things. Let me tell you something. People, places, and things are nice, but they'll not give you a meaning to life and a purpose to life. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. It's in the Lord that the path of life is, and in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Years ago, I realized that all the plans and programs here at Black Road Baptist Church came to naught, came to zilts, until I admitted to God if anything was going to be accomplished, he would have to do it 
and I'd be willing to be the tool in his hand to do it. And let me caution you and plead with you. Don't heap anything that's happened in this ministry of mine in this church. Don't give me any glory for any of it. God deserves the glory. There came a point in my life, and maybe you need to come to more of these, but I had to admit to God that in and of myself I would never be the husband, I'd never be the father I needed to be without him. And that my heart's deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. And so if you desire a new name, if you desire a new start, you need to understand who you're dealing with. That he's the almighty God. He needs to be respected. He needs to be submitted to. But he is able. <laughs> I mean, he can deal with it. And if he doesn't change it, that what you want changed, he'll give you the grace to live in it. But you're going to have to come to understand that you're a helpless and hopeless condition. And then, back up to verse 1 again, I see not only that he had to determine that he was Almighty God and he had to bow his face to the ground, but he also, it says here, to walk before me and be thou perfect. Walking before God, he says, walking before God implies not running ahead of God. Walking before God implies living in his presence, living with the consciousness of his eyes upon us and his hand ready to reach out and touch us. But with every one of my eight children, when they came to toddling age, and a time, there were times when I released their hands and let them go, and uh, they, they walked before me, you know. Uh, seemed like all little uh, army generals like Patton, they want to be in the lead. And every little two-year-old has a little bit of Patton in him. And they want to go before. But my hand was always long enough to reach out and put them back where they needed to be. Walk before me, he said. Understand that I see you. I'm in your presence. I can deal with you. As I say in Sunday school, when I took my uh, little puppy dog out onto the flood plane and released her off the rope, before she was just pulling, 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 pulling and trying to go, and when I released her off the rope, she, she uh, realized that she was loose and she would go out there just a little bit and then she'd look back and make sure I was there when before she was just trying to break away and run. Well, God wants us to walk before him. And to realize that he's watching us. And he's not going to let us get out of line. And to walk before him in humility. Walk before him in security. Walk before him realizing that, he, uh, that his eye is on the sparrow. And he watches over me. Yeah. His security. 
and his guidance. But then he says, and be thou perfect. Be thou perfect? One commentator says perfect simply means whole. Another says that perfect means mature. Some Bible margin says upright and sincere. But I stand before you here today as a spokesman for God, delivering the word of God, and, and charged with <coughs> that I'm to rightly divide the word of truth. I'm to cut it straight. And let me tell you what the meaning of perfect is. Perfect means perfect. Now I know that the Bible says in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us, and that we're going to sin even after we're saved. But I also know the Bible says, for he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. The word perfect is used to describe the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. Forty-four times that word translated perfect here is without blemish. So God did really say, be thou perfect, Abraham. He certainly did say that because what could a holy God say anything less? How could he say anything less? Does God expect you and I to strive for perfectness and to strive for holiness? He certainly does. Jesus said, be thou perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. God said in Leviticus, "Ye shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God, am holy. Second Corinthians 7, 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dear beloved, let us, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness and flesh. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know why people... That's pornography. You know why Christians get drunk? You know why they swear on the job? You know why they read stuff that they shouldn't and watch stuff that they shouldn't? Because they don't fear God. Maybe the question we should ask is not, have you been viewing pornography? Are you conquering pornography? But maybe we should ask them, how is your fear of God growing? You see, we're not shooting for, I'm going to chase a rabbit here. We're not shooting for behavior modification. We're shooting for sanctification. And that can be only be done by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Perfect. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And when I get dipping myself into sin, or I begin excusing sin, and I begin to be involved in things that I shouldn't be involved in, the problem is there's no fear of God. Holiness is perfected by the fear of God. And I should fear disappointing Him. I should fear 
that the Lord says, if you be without chastisement, you're not mine. But if you're mine, you just can't be doing what you think you can do. I'm going to hold you accountable. And every man that hath this hope in him purify himself, even as he is pure. The Bible standard for the child of God is not, well, we'll do our best. We know that we all will sin, but we'll give it a shot. But the reality, the reality is that Christians do sin. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. But that's not the standard. He said to Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect. We must pound on this a little more today. I'm convinced that God wants to give some of you a new name as he did Abraham. He wants you to have a new start, forgetting those things which are behind. I press on to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He wants you to have a new beginning. You've lived by the power of the flesh and not by faith. You've reaped the consequences. Today El Sadai comes saying, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. God can change your life. He can give you the ability to walk perfect. And don't go away from here saying that I believe in sinless perfection. That's not what I'm talking about. But I believe there is a standard. And that standard is one of holiness. If I'm going to have a new beginning, I need to get a vision that God is the Almighty God. I must come to a place of hopelessness and helplessness. And if I'm not saved, I need to support my sin. But I hear some of you saying, that that's an impossible standard to walk before me and be thou holy. But we're dealing with El Shaddai. I am the Almighty God. And God will enable. You can overcome sin. Romans chapter 6 says, Let not sin reign in your mortal body. You see, it's a decision of the heart that I'm not going to let this happen anymore in my life. And God will enable me. Just saying I'm not going to let it happen doesn't mean it's going to, ha- going to be conquered. But God will enable you to conquer it. He is the Almighty God. Who do you think God is today? And he tells us, my grace is sufficient. So what am I asking you to do today? As we bring this down to the crisis moment, as in my Sunday school, in the, in the days of old when the old doctors that packed the bag would go and they'd say, well, they, they, they'd say, well, we're at the crisis moment. Either they'll get better or they're going to get worse. This is at the point where the big happening is going to happen. And God, at the end of messages at times, he brings us to a crisis moment. Will you do this or not do this? And may he bring a crisis to your heart. And I'm asking you today, 
To see your sin for what it is if you're not born again. God hates it. And we should abhor it. And you'll never be born again until you come to a place where you... You, so you see, lots of salvations presented this way. You need to come and join God's team. You need to get on board with what God's doing. You need to commit yourself. No, you need to repent of your sins. You need to come to a place to realize that you're helpless and hopeless before Him. You need to realize that, that the wages of sin is death. And we come to a, a helpless, hopeless estate, understanding, God, if you don't save me, then I'm lost and I'm lost and condemned to hell justly. But if you promise to save me, and I'm going to trust in you. But when it comes to our living and where we're at and how far we've drifted and that silent time in our life, oh, we're mucking out and we're going through the motions of Christianity, but really that joy and that fellowship we had with God, whether 13 weeks or 13 months or with Abraham 13 years, is gone. Well, here's what I'm asking you to do. If there's sin in your life, you need to bow your head and ask God to forgive you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. <laughs> but much more than that, and to cleanse us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And if you've ever practiced that, you'll know the joy of getting up and being clean. I'm asking you, who in an impossible situation, that you've made some decisions and done some things perhaps that have made a cobweb of things. It's, there's so many tentacles to this that you can't even explain it. All you know is it's a mess. Well, congratulations. You've come to a good spot to realize that's a mess. Now, you need to look and see that He is the Almighty God. He may not turn the mess over completely in that single moment. He could. But he's going to say, listen, walk before me. Walk before me. Be thou perfect. Strive to be holy. And I'll give you a new name. And I'll bless you. And we'll, I'll fix this thing. But you got to commit yourself to do that. I, don't, I can't express my heart enough this morning. And because I've had a cold and can't, can't uh, scream and yell like I usually do and slap the pulpit. But listen, don't sit here. Uh, don't sit here as we do from time to time. And I know I do. And I say, well, that's interesting. And I say, uh, yeah, I... I I know, I know things aren't where they need to be, but you know, they need to change a little bit, 
and they need to change. And if those guys get their act straight, then I can get my act straight. No, you need to deal with you. It begins with you. And it may be that, again, God doesn't necessarily change your situation, but He can change your heart about it. And you know what? Maybe your situation can never be changed until your heart is changed, and I know that to be true. But I'm asking you to, listen, I'm asking you to understand that this one who introduces himself as El Shaddai is the one who enabled a 99-year-old man and an 80-something-year-old woman to go into the marriage act believing that they were going to conceive, and they did. I'm asking you to trust God to change you and to change your situation. It's not about coming forward here and praying or coming forward here and making a show. It's about coming to a place where you're honest with God. Listen, don't, don't treat God today with disrespect. Lay it out before him. Tell him the desires of your heart. And see what he does. But whatever he does, whether it turns out how you want it to or not, let me tell you something. He's still the almighty God. He still has a plan. He still knows what he's doing. And he still wants you to walk before him and be thou perfect. Listen, he can't use you if you won't. Understand that? He can't use you to change the problem unless you walk before him and strive for holiness. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now listen, I put my pants on just like you guys do. I cut my food up just like you guys do. I drink water just like you guys do. I struggle just like you guys do. And I'm proud just like you are. And I want to say, okay. I'll deal with that someday. It never gets better. I'm pleading with you as though this was the last message I ever preached in this pulpit. Don't dishonor God who wants to bless you. Do business with God. If you need me to pray with you, I'll be here at the pulpit to pray with you. But God's presence is no more here than it is in your pew. And may you say with Fanny Crosby, Ask me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. Though all in others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, 
hear my humble cry. While another's hour calling, do not pass me by. Let's pray. Father, as I come to you,